0: This is the box office podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the box office studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to talk about the situation in which we recorded it and touch on the future of this podcast as a whole. We produced this episode as the United States was several days into protests, which span all 50 states. These protests are immediate reactions to the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey, but which are really responses to structural and institutional racism which is rooted deep in our national history. Black Lives Matter. It shouldn't take hundreds of protests across our country and others to make that point, but here we are. This is a young podcast, but It's an offshoot of a magazine, which is a century old. Both are representatives of theatrical exhibition, and that's a business landscape in which few theaters are black owned or operated. As we embark upon the next phase of this podcast, as the movie business slowly returns to something like normal, we do not want lack of black representation and opportunity to be part of that new norm. As we go forward, we will reflect and amplify the voice of the black experience and exhibition. We want to help raise awareness of black owners, operators, and executives wherever they are in the business and just as crucially where they are not. Thank you for listening with us so far. And thank you very much for sticking around. Now we're going to dive into a conversation that is more connected to the conversation that we've been developing over the past few months as the coronavirus changed things for theaters across the country. And that's to to look into how everyone is reopening now that we are staring at some actual dates for regions all over the country.
1: That's right, Russ, and thanks again for that introduction. These uh, protests that we're seeing all across the country, and in fact, all over the world, are coinciding with uh, cinema reopenings that we've been covering uh, here on the podcast over the past several months after the impact of COVID-19. We are just now finally hearing from major circuits in the U.S. with firm reopening dates, and we've also started to hear reopening dates from key European markets. France, for example, will be opening their cinemas again starting on June 22nd. And then you have several other countries also on the schedule. You've got Italy beginning on June 15th, uh, England uh, beginning on July 4th. And then you've got examples such as uh, Germany, where they've had this sort of tiered reopening like the U.S. has that will probably go through June 30th. And a country like Spain, where this initial reopening phase in Spain, a country that has been really devastated by, by the coronavirus, uh, began on May 25th and has been going uh, through June 8th. So little by little, we're seeing some changes. Rebecca, I know that you recently wrote some stories uh, on some of those reopening dates. What's it looking like in terms of majors, uh, both here in the US and abroad?
2: Well, as we record this podcast on Wednesday, the June 3rd, uh, the morning started off with two pretty big announcements regarding the North American front, namely Cinemark, the third largest chain in North America, announced a four-phase tiered reopening. And uh, you can go to Boxofficepro.com for more details, but the long and the short of it is that starting June 19th, they will begin opening a couple theaters, uh, five in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and then they'll sort of gradually open up leading up to uh, July 10th, which as of right now is a week before the release of Warner Brothers Tenet, which would be the big, you know, hurrah reopening of Hollywood. Also, Studio Movie Grill. Dine-In Chain in Texas announced uh, kind of something similar, where it would be a gradual reopening that would start on that same date as Cinemark, uh, June 19th. Just yesterday, we saw Canepolis Group, which has a presence in a variety of European countries, announce reopening dates. Some cinemas in New Zealand have already started reopening and Reading International, which owns theaters in New Zealand and Australia is announcing further reopening dates. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting. We're seeing a lot of kind of the big global corporations with presences both in America and in other countries start to announce reopening dates for those other countries. So hopefully some of the uh, lessons they learn can from that can be applied to their U.S. theaters when it, it becomes safe to open them. We'll see. But for now, we're here to talk about uh, theaters that have already been open for a couple of weeks and have already learned those lessons and begin to apply those lessons. And uh, certainly other theaters can look to those lessons when it comes to crafting their own strategies.
1: And that was the impetus behind uh, a couple of live session seminars that we've conducted online with professionals in this space. We wanted to wait at least a couple of weeks for the first cinemas in the United States to reopen, to check back in with them and have as candid a conversation as possible on what some of those learning lessons were from those two weeks. Of course, there's the, the famous Mike Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I think that's going to be, bluntly put it, the sort of reopening process for a lot of us will have perfect, pristine plans to put in place and then reality happens and you sort of have to adjust. So we welcomed uh, representatives from three different Texas circuits that have been open for more or less a month at this point. Representatives from Sintiqos Entertainment, Star Cinema Grill, and Synergy Entertainment, for them to tell us a little bit about their experiences so far in reopening.
3: We started this process probably almost as quickly as we closed it down we got engaged with our home office leadership team and our team in the field and really started building from there, a plan of how we wanted to really make the public and our team members feel safe.
1: That was Derek Heath, the COO of Synergy Entertainment. Very interesting chain that runs uh, family entertainment centers. That means uh, these are very large complexes that not only host cinemas, many times they'll host bowling alleys, arcades, restaurants. They have quite a bit of space uh, on hand uh, to ensure social distancing when folks come in. It was really interesting, guys, when we were talking to Derek, uh, he mentioned some of the different points that they've made to make their sanitation policies as visible as possible for audiences. So, for example, they have a sanitation crew dressed in, like, bright yellow, highlighter yellow vests that say Synergy Sanitation Crew. They have a number of different policies that you'll be able to find uh, on their website if you want to follow up on how they're implementing social distancing both outside and inside of the auditorium. And a big part of that is communicating those steps in their pre-show, meaning as soon as you get into that auditorium and uh, sit down in your chair, they have a quick one-minute video going over all of the different measures they've implemented in the system so moviegoers know what they can expect in their trip to the movies.
3: As much as it's about how well we clean our facilities, it's about letting our guests see how well we clean our facilities. And I think that's been really one takeaway early on that's been very beneficial for us, at least from the standpoint of our guests coming out of the door.
2: So this podcast is, is a, a recap of our webinar specifically on reopening that we did, but uh, we really felt like it was fit to kind of steal a quote from previous webinar that we did on the issue of movie theater sanitation, because it is obviously... Uh, hugely important. It's something that everyone in the theater space is kind of wanting to know, you know, is there a magic piece of equipment? Is there a magic cure to make this process go quicker? Because obviously you're cleaning a lot of stuff, but maybe you have limited staff. So we're going to bring in a quote here from Marianne Abiyad, the executive vice president of Royal Corporation, uh, which provides, among many other products, uh, sanitation products to over 90% of the theaters in the United States. And and, uh, she speaks to something that I think is is really important in this process as theaters start to reopen, which is that, as she explained elsewhere in in the seminar, you're going to see a lot of products that claim to be a, a kind of a miracle solution and a lot of them are going to be very expensive and from companies that are newcomers to the exhibition space that maybe don't know if this product is going to ruin your seats, that maybe don't know if, uh, if this product is going to work specifically in this theater atmosphere. So we just wanted to, to bring this quote in from her to get specifically that sanitation perspective. You go back to common sense. You don't want to break the bank. You want to make sure that the theaters are profitable and you can't just have a sanitation, you know, like a full team just focused on every single surface. Just Mm -hmm. common sense, high touch areas, make it very visible. This is important for the guests to see that and feel confident that the right products are being used the right way.
0: So we do kind of production notes for these shows before we put them together, especially when we're using kind of compilations of quotes like that. And I'll admit that the first time I read Marianne's quote out of context, I was a little raised eyebrow about it because, of course, I, as someone who's who wants to go back to the theater but is concerned about uh, safety to some extent, I was like, no, I want I do want every surface to be as clean as humanly possible. And of course, I thought about it a little more from the perspective of practicality, and I realized that the part of the important bit there is as humanly possible. You know, the floor probably doesn't need to be sanitized because I'm not going to be down on it. And I think, too, that there's a question of perspective. You know, audiences want to understand that they are being taken care of. And a lot of effort, I think, needs to be put forth to not just doing the work, but communicating to people and sort of, as Daniel was saying with the the yellow vests and whatnot, proving that the work is being done on a consistent basis.
2: There are definitely three, I think, elements to the sanitation question here. One, the most important is doing the work and cleaning the heck out of you know, all the high touch surfaces and anything that the audience that all the high touch surfaces, anything that your patrons would come in touch with. The second component is visibility and making sure that people know you're doing this so that they are confident in coming back to the movie theaters. And the third, of course, is is as Marian spoke about elsewhere in our interview, the issue of individual responsibility. And that comes into play when chains develop their own strategies. You know, the Cinemark, when they announced their reopening, their phased reopening earlier today, you know, they are requiring that their staff wear masks. They are recommending, but not requiring uh, that patrons wear masks. And that's something that it's up to every individual theater to decide what they're comfortable with. And it's up to every patron to decide what they're comfortable with. You know, are you comfortable going to a theater where, you know, you're going to be socially distanced from people? You're going to be that six feet apart, but maybe your fellow moviegoers aren't going to be wearing masks. There's not an easy one size fits all solution for any of these problems.
0: I'll admit that the I agree. Absolutely. And I will admit the question of masks is one about which I'm a little bit uneasy because I personally, I mean, I'm going to wear a mask for the coming months certainly as long as the cdc recommends doing so and you know i read the news about cinemark not requiring masks uh, with a little bit of trepidation to be honest but i did end up approaching it from this perspective which is that we have seen violence towards frontline often minimum wage workers who end up being the ones left to enforce the mask rule and so the question of how you're going to enforce the mask rule becomes a massive one um, if you are requiring masks. You know, do you have a security team posted at front and they're the ones who let people in or not? And then, of course, once people are in the theater, do they keep the mask on? Like during the movie, Who know? you know, a lot of people will probably take their masks off. They're going to want to eat popcorn or whatever. There are a lot of questions there. And as you said, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. And there's some really difficult uh, answers because I don't think somebody who's making you know fifteen bucks an hour or whatever should be the one who has to potentially get in a fight with a customer who doesn't want to wear a mask.
2: Not to change the tone entirely, but would you say that this question is masking
1: <laughs> Oh come I'm on, Rebecca! Gonna
0: <laughs> delete. Rebecca, <laughs> I'm going to delete both my account and <laughs> yours. Right, right now. <laughs> what you know? What I will say is the thing that came to mind. And okay, if Cinemark doesn't want to require mask wearing. What they can do, what any company could potentially do, is provide masks and say, we recommend this and here's a free one. It'd be cool if you wore it in the theater. And I'd be curious to see how something like that would go over. That would be my approach.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely as more theaters uh, open in in states and territories that have been differently affected by the virus, uh, it would be really interesting to see statistics on how many people, patrons, wear masks, and in what parts of the theater.
1: It's going to be an interesting question to track, as you guys are mentioning. Uh, different people in different parts of the country are going to have different comfort levels with uh, how they want to engage with their going experience. And when it comes to enforcement, uh, Russ, that's actually a question that we posed to our panelists in the reopening session, because it is a big ask uh, to have your employees all of a sudden enforce some of these policies that could potentially get them in, in harm's way. We've already read some news reports uh, early on in the reopening process. But uh, after chatting with the three of them, they've said that so far, a month into operations, what they've found is you really haven't had as many conflicts with customers uh, so far, at least in the first tier of reopening. A lot of folks take to heart the personal responsibility aspect, and it's something that they've been very, very aware of during their uh, staff training in reopening their theaters. So when speaking with uh, Rob Lehman, the COO of uh, San Antonio-based Santicos Entertainment, I asked them, hey, you know, how did you get your staff prepared to uh, implement these policies before reopening? And afterwards, how do you go about enforcing it? It was an interesting quote.
4: We found out we could open on a Tuesday morning that we were going to go ahead and try to open. And we opened on a Saturday. So we brought our people in um wednesday thursday and friday for training our uh, ceo myself and our ops person went out and talked to every single employee at every theater that's the advantage of having all of our theaters here in san antonio we walked them through why we were going to reopen what our expectations were and then our management teams took those employees through every step of the building from walked them in the front door and walked them through the lobby to the greeter stand, to where they would ask the question uh, over the last 14 days, Have you or anyone you know experience, et cetera, et cetera. And then walked them to the concession stand, had to go to the auditorium. And it was just continued training.
1: So as I was saying, Cinticos is one of those circuits that haven't been asking its patrons to wear masks coming into the theater. But that doesn't mean that enforcement isn't something that there have been particularly careful in exploring. When Rob was sharing those insights of their staff training week, he also mentioned that it wasn't only himself as the COO, but it was another operations executive and their CEO that personally went to those locations in San Antonio to speak to staff, to be there present. And they made themselves available for after the session if staff felt uncomfortable with any part of the new policies and reopening to get in touch with them and to discuss uh, different ways to, to either retrain or reassess the situation. So it's something I think that when done correctly includes executive leadership to know the challenges their staff is facing and adequately prepare them to help customers and their concerns.
4: The enforcement's been actually not that bad. The, everyone's kind of nervous so when they're walking in a lot of people are doing the social distancing and you know what we haven't had any problems other than you know occasional customer asking about well why don't they have to wear masks it's been I always kind of remember uh, when I managed theaters Christmas day was always my the fun day to work because uh, customers were happy that they could get away for a couple hours away from their families, be quiet and, and watch a movie. So there, a lot of friendliness was going on and that's how it's been for the last month for us.
2: Now, something that we've spoken about earlier in this podcast is that a lot of the cinemas that opened up so far have been family entertainment centers. However, one cinema that has reopened is Star Cinema Grill, which is a dine-in chain. And uh, we absolutely wanted to speak to Jason Oster, the VP of Development there, to get his perspective on how the dine-in experience is going right now as cinemas reopen across the United States.
5: There's been some people that walk in and want to go to the kiosk or the box office and buy their ticket like they always have. And, you know, I would say to a certain level, no, we took advantage of the situation, but there weren't many other times where you could do things in your company and not have people react in a crazy way. If on a normal, you know, weekend last year, I said, no more ticket sales through our website or a kiosk only through our app, you have to download our app. People would have gone crazy about that, you know? And so this situation gave us some opportunities to kind of test some things. And that's kind of how we looked at it, even in terms of, you know, moving food order into some app based things and allowing guests to do their check and their tip on an app. And, you know, just saying, well, this is the way it is for a minute, Engaging, in reaction and learning from that environment that we we're kind of protected to do so. So, I mean, we're taking all the feedback that we can and we're making daily, weekly adjustments to that as we open each and each next location.
0: OK, so now you're open. Your theaters running again, um, but there are no new movies, at least not for a few more weeks. So, you know, what do you show? What do you put on the screen? Obviously, we have advocated for repertory programming, uh, which could be anything from, you know, showing uh, Jaws and whatever comfort movie people in a region might seem to prefer. I'm sure there's a BuzzFeed article somewhere that associates each state with their favorite comfort movie. But it's a huge question, you know, what does the programming look like? So this is where we go back to Derek Heath, who had a few things to say on that front.
3: I think the biggest thing I learned was don't look at the business now the same way you did then. We had an idea of what we thought we'd do for marketing and how we approach the movies that we select. And we just throw all that caution to the wind and say, it's different. You know, we have significantly more families coming in. We have more kids coming in with families than maybe what we'd seen in some markets in the past. We're seeing people spending habits a little bit differently.
1: So it's interesting when you see where Synergy has its locations. They've got a couple of theaters in the West Texas sort of oil country region, right? And uh, Derek was telling us how in that part of the country, horror movies, action movies, they perform particularly well. But because of those dynamics and people coming into the theaters, and of course, this is going to be a very different economic reality uh, for a lot of folks during this time, They were actually seeing a different audience come in, a bit more of a presence in in families, sort of uh, recalling those family audiences on Christmas Day that Rob was talking about in Cintico. So this is an audience coming back from a long period, staying in their homes, and the content is going to change along with it. We were able to get a couple more insights from Jason Ostro at Star Cinema Grill to see how he's been programming in his return to cinema
5: it was funny you know you looked all the lists from all the different studios and it was kind of like man what do i really want to see on the movie screen again and some of it really worked and some of it didn't and some of it was surprising goonies is still holding we actually played it week one it was number one we didn't hold it for whatever reason cause our strategy was just a whole new slate every week but then we learned that didn't really make sense we brought goonies back this past week and it was one of the top ones again you know your jurassic parks your jaws your back to the futures the the things that you would think people want to see on the big screen. That's what people have been seeing. I think the other mistake that we made was that we didn't bring back anything that was on screen when we closed, when in actuality,
1: that's turning out to be some of the the product that's doing the most business right now. So related to that, Ross, Rebecca, if you were to pick one movie to go right back to the movie theaters, what's your repertory title that you're going to go with?
0: Well, I want to say, as someone who spent four years of my life in Midland, Texas, you know, I might choose the first movie that I saw in Midland, which was uh, James Cameron's Aliens. Sorry, kind of a horror action movie, Um, but that might be my choice.
2: Completely across the ocean from West Texas oil country. One of my biggest rewatches is is Hot Fuzz. Just action and comedy. So also doesn't quite fit into that. But yeah, I need comedy. I need something to feel good, and I need to hear other people laugh.
1: I'll be honest. I'll watch anything. <laughs> I, I've been sitting in this apartment watching you know German soccer and Bayern Munich winning you know games in empty stadiums. Just get me out of this situation. I'll watch. I'll watch Paint Dry if especially if Godard made it after 1980.
0: I think, you know, a couple of years ago, I did a rewatch of all of the movies that have ever won the Best Picture Oscar. In doing so, I realized that I absolutely loathe the 1950s version of Around the World in 80 Days. I just, I hate it. It's miserable. It's a crime. And I would go see that. I would go watch that in a theater, all like three and a half hours of it. I would... Happily sit there uh, right now at this one, this one point in my life.
2: The Star Wars prequels, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Attack of the Clones, I might not do that one. <laughs> that might be my limit.
1: It's a good question you guys raise in terms of, uh, you know, we associate some of these titles with being big blockbusters, with being big earners. Obviously, in the situation we have right now, movie theaters have to make the value proposition work. When you're working with a repertory content. That's going to be difficult. And when we think about the return to cinemas, I think a big factor in gauging audience response and audience demand is box office grosses, right? That's the way that we usually track the success of the industry here in the United States. That's going to change, especially as cinemas begin to reopen, mainly because ticket prices are going to be significantly lower than they were before COVID precisely because you're really programming a lot of these repertory titles. So instead of charging 15, 17, $18 per ticket to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, a lot of these circuits uh, that we spoke to are charging anywhere between four and $5 per ticket. Now there's a strategy behind that. As long as you get enough people coming in through the doors, you have a better shot at hitting that profitability through concession spend. And crucially, The theaters that have opened up early, that have opened up first here in the United States, have either full kitchens or a complete dine-in capacity to help them hit that economic equation. Rebecca, on your end, you've tracked how these sort of uh, pricing schemes have uh, evolved circuit to circuit here in the United States.
2: Well, uh, just earlier today, I saw uh, Santicos Entertainment throughout the entire month of June is giving two free tickets a week to their loyalty customers, which is a large amount of tickets that are not going to be reflected in the grosses that Santicos reports. Uh, Today, Cinemark announced that when they reopen for as long as they're screening uh, repertory titles, so until Tenet comes out, uh, their tickets are going to be five bucks for adults and three bucks for kids and seniors without any kind of upcharge at all for their premium large format uh, XD screens. Something Cinemark also said that they uh, could very well be doing is getting kind of additional, though unspecified at this point, uh, you know, benefits to their subscription program members. All of the panelists that we spoke to said in terms of getting people in, they are doubling down and really focusing their marketing on their loyalty customers. So what that translates to is to really drastically reduce ticketing prices for a couple months now. So, yeah, I mean, I do wonder the box office is is really not going to reflect the number of people who actually go to the cinema with all these free tickets and discounts. In some European companies, box office isn't reported... By box office, it's supported by attendance, and and I wonder if maybe there's going to be some experimentation more into looking at things that way.
1: Yeah, Rebecca, I think that's going to be an interesting sort of development. Uh, it's going to be impossible to get a real good sense of where the industry is. Right at the beginning of reopening, especially with admissions figures, there's been a lot of talk about an admissions crisis. If you look at admissions in the North American market over the past 10 years, they've been more or less consistent, more or less flat, meaning that you have years where it gradually increases, others that it gradually decreases, but the industry has thrived in getting that core audience re-engaging it year over year and finding a value proposition where it can either upcharge where it makes sense. And then we're talking about, you know, innovations like uh, premium large format screens, VIP auditoriums, dine-in, or you go a little bit on the lower end where you introduce discount days that a lot of major circuits have, uh, two-for-one Tuesdays, $5 ticket nights. Uh, even the big trend towards subscription is a way to go to your power users, your more loyal audiences and make it more financially viable to come through the doors. So this sort of uh, pricing tweak over the last five years has been fascinating to see. It'll be interesting to see how COVID continues to spur innovation when it comes to pricing and how cinemas can address the audience spend that currently exists and sort of explore how to gradually increase that attendance mark in the coming years. We were able to chat with Jason Ostro uh, over at Star Cinema Grill to learn about how they specifically have been introducing some of these innovations during the reopening phase and which things they haven't really modified since they reopened and which things they're sort of testing out to see if they would work long term
5: annotation, that's actually stayed pretty consistent since day one. Most of our course corrections have been in terms of how we operate our business and adjust the business to hit the financial benchmarks that we need to. So we're not losing money. I mean, we're not in a position of profitability right now. We're in a position of just, you know, breaking even hopefully or making enough to cover, you know, some of your corporate overhead. So most of our adjustments have been, you know, we instituted a lot of new technology when we opened that we hadn't used previously. We forced all of our ticket buying, to an app and, you know, we're full dine-in. So we adjusted some of our uh, table-side order-taking procedures and moved some of those to an app and we slimmed down our menu and those were a lot of the things that we did when we opened. And then literally each day, you know, looking at our PPAs and looking at our labor and looking at those things and making those adjustments. The sanitation actually has probably been the least thing to change. I mean, everything that we did day one, we're still doing all of those things because I think that was the one thing we all focused on probably Hardest to get open was the sanitation and the cleanliness, and then secondary was okay. Our menu, our operations, our labor, our this, our that, and so that's where the daily adjustments have been, at least in our organization. And we've increased our menu. We've added all of our menu items to the app. We've we've done a lot of things to try to achieve pre-COVID PPAs, so we can make sense of being open under these very very low volume conditions.
2: Yeah, I mean the state that we're in right now, everything could change kind of day to day minute to minute whether that's government regulations that you may be under whether it's the effect that the virus is having on your community so when a theater reopens the ability to really plan very very much and and have everything ready to go and like potentially overthink things in the weeks before reopening and then once you do reopen be nimble and do not be locked into that plan because it is a Whole new ball game out there, even though there aren't any actual ball games out there.
1: The most fascinating part uh, of that quote from Jason is they how the audience in leaving the home—they're not really leaving the home to watch a movie that they could watch, you know, back on their sofa. They're leaving the home for the specific experience that his cinema offers, and that's why they've kept the sanitation measures as is. They really don't want to slow down on that, but they've actually upped. Their menu, they've sort of put a lot more attention on offering the most complete cinema experience outside of what's on the screen, which is, I think, really one of the reasons why this industry has been able to compete with all sorts of home entertainment is that specific value proposition in presenting a film under the technological innovations that you have in the auditorium and all of the hospitality features that you have outside of it.
0: You know, I've said before in previous episodes that one of the interesting side effects of the entire COVID-19 crisis is that it is forcing companies who are not traditionally very nimble or perhaps quick to act to make some pretty huge decisions and to contemplate really big changes or significant changes to their business model and their practices in a short period of time. And as we're looking at all of these potential reopening measures and the actual reopening measures that are being enacted, I still hold fast to that. I think it's going to be really difficult for some circuits to move forward. It's going to be difficult for audiences to move forward. But I do wonder if we might come out of this with, you know, mean for all of us in the cities we live in.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And thank you to everyone for listening. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Caitlin Kehoe and recordeditpodcast.com written and narrated by Daniel Luria and me Russ Fisher with this week's special guest Rebecca Polly. Thank you. Please uh, share and subscribe if you haven't already and we'll be back next week.